The reading is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. And if you're following in the Blue Church Bibles, you can find it on page 988. Or if you're looking at the large print version, like me, it's on page 1503. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Thanks, Charlotte. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that in it we can find the message of salvation. We thank you that Jesus came into our world to proclaim that very same message of salvation. Lord, help us to understand it this morning, where we've already accepted it for ourselves. Help us to to know Jesus more deeply. Help us to be wanting to follow him more closely and to be more and more like him in his gentleness and in his humility. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a photo here of the, the day that Brussels was liberated from Nazi occupation by our Allied troops in 1944. And there's a soldier in the Guards Armoured Brigade called Frank Clark who wrote this account of, a, of events in a letter to his sister Vera. This is what he wrote. He said, on and on we drove towards Brussels, the excitement getting more intense every hour. The people were getting frantic. The route was a blaze of colour, and my arm fair ached with waving to the excited crowds. At times, it was almost impossible to move through the seething masses. For they climbed onto the trucks, kissing us and crying. These people had been four years beneath the Nazi yoke, suffering, unhappy, and now they were free. The Allies had fulfilled their promise. Liberation was theirs. And then we entered the suburbs of the capital. Our brigade was the first formation to go in. Well, Vera, I don't know how to describe it. It is almost impossible, for I can never put into words the reception that greeted us. To put it mildly, it was stupendously terrific. The city went raving mad. Bands, screams, singing, crying. All these sounds rent the air. It was the proudest moment of my life. We had brought freedom and happiness to these good people. As we progressed further in the crowds, as we progressed further in, the crowds began to get out of hand, for they climbed into the trucks on the tops, kissing 
and hugging everyone. The vehicles were absolutely covered with flags and streamers. It was the most amazing sight. Well, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, it was not quite the same. It was somewhat different. There were crowds on the streets welcoming him and his disciples. There was cheering. But he hadn't yet liberated the people. And the liberation he had come to do was different from what they were hoping for. Whereas the Allied troops came in their tanks, Jesus came on a donkey. And not even a fully grown donkey, but a colt. He was a man of power, but he didn't come in power. He came in humility. He came in gentleness. Just imagine if General Eisenhower had walked into Brussels while the German troops were still occupying the city. He was a man of power. He could have called down an airstrike. He could have called in the artillery, the tanks. Just imagine he instead chose to walk in. I wonder if the response would have been something similar to that which greeted Jesus. Here's the great man we've heard so much about, the powerful man. He's come to rescue us. But what's he done with that power? What we need to remember is that Jesus' kingdom is very different from any other kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom, not a a physical kingdom. And if you remember before Christmas when we were looking at Matthew's gospel, we looked at um, chapters 18 to 20, and we considered the values of the kingdom. And we saw that they were radically different from the values of the world today, whether in Jesus' day or in the UK today. We saw some of these things, didn't we? We saw how the world promotes status and image Whereas Jesus promoted humility. He called a child to him and said, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom. The world promotes revenge, tip for tat. If you've done something to me, I will get even with you. Whereas Jesus promoted forgiveness. There's no limit to how many times God is willing to forgive us. The world promotes materialism. There's a story, remember the rich young ruler, which showed just how much we can be enslaved to the idol of wealth. Whereas Jesus came and preached sacrifice and showed in practice what that meant as he gave up everything for us. The world talks about fulfillment. We saw that in the passage about marriage. If I'm not getting fulfillment or happiness in my marriage, I will simply end it and move on. Whereas Jesus taught faithfulness. He showed us that faithfulness. He expects us to live by faithfulness. The world is all about rights, uh, getting what I deserve for my efforts. Whereas Jesus taught grace. Because of our self-centeredness, our rebellion, we don't deserve God's love. And yet he shows us it anyway. The world values comfort and being served. Whereas Jesus said, true greatness is found in providing service to others. And all that was building up to that moment which we're coming to now. If you look over at chapter 20 of Matthew's Gospel, verse 17, this is what he said to his disciples. We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged 
and crucified. On the third day, he'll be raised to life. And just further down in verse 27, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is a preparation for Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. He does enter Jerusalem as king, but it's not the sort of king that most people either want or are expecting. The Jews have been living under Roman occupation for many years. They want someone to deliver them from that. But what they don't realize is that they need rescuing from a far worse enemy. They need rescuing from the kingdom of darkness where Satan himself reigns. So the first point is that King Jesus comes in humility. He comes in gentleness to bring peace to his people. Let's pick up the story at uh, the beginning of chapter 21. They're approaching Jerusalem. They arrive in this village called Bethpage in the, on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sends two of his disciples on ahead of them with some clear instructions. He tells them as they enter the village, they will find a donkey tied with her colt. Like most animals, donkeys don't like to be separated from their young. As we found out, um, once when we were living in Brazil, we'd gone to visit some friends who'd adopted some children and were living on a farm, which was a refuge for street children from a nearby city. And um, we went for a walk one day, and they had animals on this farm. They had a donkey. And um, there was a group of us. I was over further up ahead with, with Joe. Liz was a little bit at the back with, with, with uh, Ben, quite young then. Um, and one of the children, um, one of these children wasn't, was told that uh, she couldn't ride the donkey, but um, she had the, the power of persuasion and managed to, uh, to get Liz to, to allow her to ride it. And we got to a certain stage. And then the donkey suddenly bolted, went home. Um, so Liz is in this position, Ben's sort of here, young toddler, and this child is running off from the donkey, <laughs> screaming for her life. But of course, the reason why that donkey did it was because recently it had given birth to a young colt. And it didn't want to be separated from her colt, so she ran off to where the colt was. The disciples here are told to untie the donkeys, bring them both to Jesus. And if anyone tells them, um, ask them, ask them what they're doing, just tell them that the Lord needs them. And somehow they will know what he means. Well, the writer Matthew here makes quite clear what this is all about. This is to fulfill what was spoken through one of the Old Testament prophets called Zechariah. He, 500 years earlier, before it happened, he prophesied the coming of the Messiah, the King. And he used the term daughter of Zion to refer to the people of Jerusalem. And this is what he said. He said, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There is a line actually in Zechariah that Matthew misses out, um, which says this. It says, See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. Jesus will be victorious, but his victory will be different from that which they are expecting. And that's made clear in the, uh, the words of Zechariah as he continues in his original prophecy. He says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. 
His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. For a king to come on a donkey is like a contradiction in terms, isn't it? But that's the point. He comes to proclaim peace. And to proclaim proclaim donkey simply come in gentleness and humility. And that was what the donkey symbolized. This king was coming in love. He was coming to serve the Jews, not uh, by providing physical rescue for their need at that time, but providing spiritual rescue. I looked up um, a biblical definition of that gentleness. Um, What does it actually mean? And it came up with this. A sensitivity of disposition and kindness of behavior founded on strength and prompted by love. Gentleness is different from weakness. It's founded on strength, but involves a conscious choice to lay aside that strength to do an act of kindness. And the driver for that act of kindness is not anything you might get out of it, It's love. And that sums Jesus up. He came with the strength and authority of God. Do you remember when Jesus is arrested, which we'll find out about soon? He tells Peter to put his sword away. He says this, he says, Do you not think I can call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then... Would the scripture be fulfilled that says it must happen in this way? Jesus could have entered Jerusalem with his angels, um, but he's come to fight a spiritual battle. And the way he will win that battle is by laying aside his life for the people and then conquering death. He's heading for the cross. And he knows that within a week, he'll be crucified. But his death will not be the end. It will be the beginning. It will make it possible for people to enjoy a relationship with God. Earlier in Matthew, in chapter 11, Jesus gave this invitation. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus came to bring peace. Peace between humankind and God. By dealing with our sin which separates us from God. By taking the punishment we deserved. He rescued us from God's wrath. He brought rest for our souls. Eternal rest. And that brings, that rest brings an inner strength, it brings an inner confidence, it gives hope for the future. It means we can look forward to Jesus coming again. Because when Jesus comes again, he won't be riding a donkey. He will come in all his power to judge the world. And if we are among his, his friends, then that is nothing to be afraid of. It's something to welcome and something to celebrate. And that celebration will be far greater than the one in Brussels when the Allied troops marched into that city. That will be a celebration that lasts for eternity. The thing is, we each have to respond. 
We each have a personal invitation to accept the peace that Jesus offers and to make him king of our lives. Everyone has that choice to accept the gift, to follow Jesus as their king and be part of that celebration or to reject him and face the consequences. We heard earlier from Lisa that she said she had to make that personal choice for herself, that Jesus came to save her sins and not just the sins of the world. And she had to respond to that. And as she's come to him, she's found that rest for her soul that he promises. And she wants to testify to that as she's baptized later on. But let's have a look at how the, uh, the other characters in this episode responded to Jesus. Because first of all, we had the disciples. The disciples were already following Jesus. They were yet not yet sure exactly what he'd come to do, even though he told them what was about to happen. But they trusted him at this stage. And so they went, and they did as he instructed them. They went and brought the donkey. They lay close on him so Jesus could sit on them. They stood by him for now. And we have the crowd. We're not quite sure who's in the crowd, how many are Jesus' disciples already, how many of those who've maybe seen some of Jesus' miracles, they've maybe heard his preaching, and they've come to Jerusalem for the Passover, and here he comes. In John's Gospel, we're told that just before this event, uh, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. An amazing miracle. That would have got around. People would have known about him. So we're told the crowd spread their cloaks on the roads, they cut branches from the trees, and they laid them before him. And they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. All expressions of great honor to call him the son of David, one who comes in the name of the Lord, is to acknowledge that he is God's representative. He is God's anointed king. He is the Messiah. And then we have the citizens of Jerusalem as he actually enters the city. We're told the whole city was stirred. They asked, who is this? They might not uh, have been able to text each other in those days and say, get yourself down to the gate. There's some guy on a donkey uh, who's, uh, who's stirred up the crowds. But word would have got around pretty quickly. And in answer to that question, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They may have meant the great prophet, like Moses, who was prophesied in the book of Deuteronomy, who will come in the last days. Maybe the crowds were those from Galilee who'd made that pilgrimage to, uh, to Jerusalem for Passover and said, he's one of ours, he's from Galilee. Well, the shocking thing about this episode is that within a week, everyone in those crowds who were cheering Jesus on would have rejected him. And that is pretty quick, isn't it? Even by the standards of Premier League football managers, that is pretty quick. Even his closest disciples, Scarpered, when he was arrested, even Peter, who said, I will never let you down, Jesus, he denied him three times. Some of the crowd may even have been in that crowd who were shouting out, crucify him, a week later. And that's the thing about crowds, isn't it? It's easy to, to hide. It's easy to come here on a Sunday 
and uh, meet with other Christians and feel safe, strong in your faith. What about Monday morning when you're the only Christian in your workplace or your school or your street? We can't just go with a crowd on a Sunday and then with a different crowd on a Monday. We have to decide who is the king of our lives every day of the week. Well, even having been betrayed, knowing he was going to be betrayed, Jesus still showed gentleness. After he came back to life, he forgave Peter, he forgave the other disciples. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people realized what they'd done and were baptized as followers of Jesus and welcomed into his kingdom. And if we have one of those who have decided to follow Jesus as our king, then people need to see that we are different, that we're not just one of the crowd. And one of those things that I think people need to see in us is that gentleness, that humility that was evident in Jesus. Because making Jesus king means becoming like him in his gentleness and humility. And in this incident, Jesus gave us a model of behavior to follow, and that's backed up by other teaching in the New Testament. If you're familiar with the, the letter to the Ephesians, it's a book of uh, two halves. Uh, the first half is all about um, the theological truths of God's grace, his great mercy towards us. And the second half is, how do we then live that out as Christians in our daily lives? Well, that second section begins in chapter 4 with these words. Paul writes, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Interesting, isn't it, that the first things that Paul calls the Ephesian Christians to do, or anything he could have said, is be humble, be gentle. And I think one of the hardest things about gentleness is that we're still influenced by the way the world sees gentleness. The world sees it as being polite, being maybe softly spoken, uh, lacking aggression. But although he was gentle, Jesus was no pushover. He wasn't afraid to rebuke the Jewish leaders for their lack of love, their misuse of power. And we'll see that next week when uh, Jesus overturns the tables in the temple, when he curses the, the fig tree to show God's judgment on Jerusalem. We'll see that in verse 31 when he tells the Jewish leaders, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you because you did not repent and believe. To be gentle does not mean that you are cowardly. does not mean that you avoid confrontation. It does not mean that you're not assertive. But it means being humble and putting the interests of others first. You're being assertive for the rights of others, not for yourself. And if as Christians we recognize that in ourselves we are weak, and we're only strong strong because of the strength that God gives us, then that affects the way we relate to others, doesn't it? You know, if you are a recovered um, drug addict, a recovered alcoholic, then you will look with sensitivity on those who are still struggling with addiction. Because you know what they're going through. Uh, You will treat them with gentleness. 
And that should be the same for all of us who are, are forgiven sinners. We were, we're all once sinners. So we should treat those who are not Christians with gentleness. Peter said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. What does that look like? Well, it means that we should put forward clearly the claims of Jesus, but not get into a theological argument about um, uh, which we feel we have to win. It means for a Christian woman with an unbelieving husband, they shouldn't have to convince them of the truth. But as it says in 1 Peter, to demonstrate the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. It means if a fellow Christian is struggling with sin, that as it says in Galatians, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. We need to point the sin out to them because that is the the loving thing to do. But we need to be patient with them if it takes a while for them to change. The reason that Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees was because of his love for his people. They were the ones they had led astray. They'd placed these huge burdens on them. And if he hadn't been hard on the Pharisees, the Jews would have continued to suffer the weight under the weight of their rules and regulations. To be gentle like Jesus is to see people with the same compassion that he saw them as those who were weary, those who were heavy laden. And to give them the invitation of rescue that Jesus brought with him as he came into Jerusalem. That's the invitation I'll leave you with now. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that 2,000 years ago Jesus came into Jerusalem with that message of peace, that message of rest for our souls. And we thank you that today we can still proclaim that message of rest and peace because the world is still weary and heavy laden. Lord, we pray for anyone here this morning who may be feeling that weight and is seeking rest but not knowing where to look for it. Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself to them. And may they find the rest that comes from putting their trust in Jesus Christ. Having their guilt for sin removed from them and feeling free from that weight. And Lord, for those who have know that rest and know that peace. Lord, we praise you for it. We know that it wasn't anything that in us that deserved that gift of rest. But Lord, we do pray we would continue to grow in Christ's likeness, that we would model his, his humility, his gentleness. Lord, whatever that looks like for us in our daily lives, make it clear to us. Whatever we need to put right, make that clear to us. By the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.